The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies and fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Good afternoon, Mr. and Mrs. Nerd and all the geeks at sea. Welcome to another episode of the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Today we're going to do something a little meta. We're going to discuss podcasting, uh, which some of you, in, at least in the corollary, I'm hoping are familiar with. Uh, with us today is uh, Robin Patterson. Hello. There he is. And Jack Ward from the Sonic Society. Hey there. Thanks for having me back. Anytime. So, um, to get the ball rolling, I guess, we'll talk about what exactly is podcasting and uh, how did it come to be? Either one of you guys want to field that one? Well, I think probably the best person to field that would be Jack because he was part of the reason I got into podcasting in the first place, but that's a story I'll tell later on. Jack is definitely a senior podcaster, so take it away, Jack. I can tell you how I got into podcasting or I can tell you about podcasting, but I mean, I can tell you about both. Uh, I suppose podcasting itself actually goes way back something like into the 80s. That was when they first, it was sort of called as audio blogging, uh, with, well, I mean, the roots were dated back in the 80s when they were working with sort of broadband internet and portable digital audio playback devices. Uh, but there was a whole bunch of really crazy technical stuff that we don't nearly need to get into that got there. Um, but for most people, I think it's um, Adam Curry that actually created podcasting as we know it. There's another guy by the name of Dave Weiner. Uh, that's W-I-N-E-R, uh, not with an H, who uh, came up with it in a bit of a different form about two years beforehand. And I guess there's some some uh, question about whether he's actually the creator. But most people suggest that it was Adam Curry who basically... That's that's what I've heard as well. Yeah, that's I've heard always heard Adam Curry referred to as the podfather. Yes. The, the, the source of all podcasting. For me, to, to, when I got into podcasting, and it, it has been uh, probably 12 years now. So uh, uh, originally it was uh, a listener who had uh, gotten onto the Sonic Society through listening through the live studio that we had for CKDU, which is our, our mother radio station for the Sonic Society. And she was saying, you got to try this instead of just doing live radio um, and, and streaming it for people to listen to. Why not do this podcasting thing? And I said, I can't think about this. So she said, that's OK, I'll do it. So she did it for about, you know, six months or whatever before she had other things going on. And then suddenly we started finding we were getting all these listeners. And I went, wow, so much for this radio streaming stuff. Let's try the podcasting thing. I mean, we already had the show. We could put the show up on a web page for people to, you know, mm-hmm. download and listen that way. So I wasn't sure why podcasting was such a big thing until I realized it's a pretty big thing. And then it became the main thing. So we were able to sort of uh, have our main CKDU uh, uh, mother uh, show uh, divorced 
uh, we were divorced from it, doing it directly in live, and they would take our podcast and use it later on, and then we could do it whenever we wanted. As you know, this is being mm -hmm. recorded and then used uh, weeks from now. So. Yeah. Well, okay. How long did the Sonic Society radio program on CKDU run before you started, like, podcasting it? Then? Well, theoretically, we the before Sonic Society radio show, so the radio show has been going actually even longer than the Sonic Society. I started okay. off with a show called um, The Shadowlands, which became mm -hmm. the name of my troupe, the Shadowlands troupe, uh, theater troupe. It also was the name of the series, which was very much an, an homage to The Twilight Zone. And um, mm -hmm. it, I would play a lot of old-time radio shows that I really loved in between stuff that we created, me and my partner, Andrew Dorfman, at the time. And and they were saying at the station, like, this is so cool. You should distribute this to other stations. So I contacted other stations about syndicating it, not for money at the time. I wasn't smart enough to think about that, but <laughs> just to get it out there. And they went, this is a really cool idea, but we can't do it because we don't have the rights to the old OTR stuff. But we'd love to have original works. And I went, I can't write that fast. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I said, well, maybe there's the other people out there who are doing what I'm doing. And whoa, I started looking in the Internet and suddenly I found, yeah, there are other people. So the tone of the whole show changed from old-time radio with some new-time stuff to being nothing but brand-new uh, brand modern audio drama theater stuff that people could give me the rights to be able to rebroadcast with the idea that we would showcase their show as mm -hmm. far and as wide as possible. So we had you know, 10, 12 radio stations across the coast. We had all the way from Newfoundland all the way to Victoria, B.C., um, in be and every spot in between, uh, basically, uh, and Athabasca and Toronto and Montreal and Ottawa and uh, Brandon, Manitoba and Vancouver and even a couple of hmm. places. Uh, there's a, a place in Seattle and a couple other places in the States. We were getting a lot of listeners from Seattle listening to live shows from Vancouver. It was that's when things started taking off is because we had. The ability, because people gave us their, you know, their permission to use their shows, and then we could be able to syndicate it without worrying about people yelling copyright issues. Hmm. Hmm. And that, that's interesting. And that's the history. And then Rob, listen to us. I don't know how you found us. Was it on iTunes? Actually, if I remember right, yes, because uh, my podcast history is a little bit after yours. Um, it starts when I was living in Taiwan in 2005, it would have been. And I was having to do a, spend a lot of time commuting around the city. And I got my first iPod. And I was in a situation where I didn't have any, um, I didn't have a credit card that I could use to like buy stuff on iTunes. So I had iTunes, but I couldn't actually pay for anything at the time. And so I was thinking, well, what's free on iTunes? And of course, podcasts. They're pretty much the only free thing on iTunes at that point. Mm -hmm. And so I started listening to them. At first, I actually went looking for old-time radio stuff, and I found that. And then naturally, I typed in old-time radio, and the two things that came up were Dakota Ring Theater, obviously, mm -hmm. and the Sonic Society. <laughs> and so I started listening um, for about a summer, I listened, summer 2006, I think it was, mm -hmm. I basically spent listening to the Sonic Society. And um, I thought, 
these guys are doing this amazing stuff, but there's just little old me here. <laughs> um, what can I do? And so I tried my hand at doing audio readings for a while. I was reading translated uh, Chinese uh, novels for a little bit, translated to English. And that was a little unsatisfying. And I thought, no, no, I want to be more like Jack Ward because he's damn cool. <laughs> and um, actually, that's not an exaggeration. I'm not saying that to flatter. Really, that really was it. I remember I listened to a show that you and uh, Greg Taylor of the Dakota Ring Theater did talking about doing audio drama and everything. You were kind of discussing the ins and outs. Yeah. And I can literally picture myself standing in this subway station listening to it. I can remember the exact moment I thought, these guys are talking about this. I can do this. Mm. And so I went into audio drama and started making it. And uh, that's where Kung Fu Action Theater was born. Yeah, every year. Uh, that's awesome. Every year, uh, Greg Taylor and I sit down and have a, ro- a round table. You even joined us for one year. Yep, I did. I was fortunate enough to be there for, for one year back when I was still doing Kung Fu Action Theater. And um, yeah, I think this was probably like your first or second roundtable I was listening to probably at that point. For sure. Yeah, Greg. And so, sorry, you said you really got into it and that's what inspired me. Yeah, you guys are my inspiration. Oh, thanks a lot. No, that's, that, I, I, every time you tell me that story, I, I get a little <laughs> verklempt. It, <laughs> I really appreciate that. That's, it's, it's, it's wonderful. It, there's, there's so many stories. I think that's one of the powers of podcasting is there's so right. many stories of people who have you know, tales of going through hard times and saying, man, you don't understand, like, how many times I listened to your show and I was just looking forward every Tuesday night to have something mm-hmm. else to listen to, to because it was just really crappy times. So I've been fortunate enough to have a couple of letters like that about Kung Fu Action Theater as well. Yeah, that's wonderful. Uh, people, you know, loved the audio dramas and I did and or we did because I was part of a team. And, uh, yeah, it, it helped people get through hard times. It inspired them. It even inspired the number of people to get into audio drama themselves. Well, I, And that's the highest compliment I could get. I just decided, uh, and I don't know if you saw this in the Sonic Society, but there's a link for it. Um, I just decided that we've entered, like, a third age of audio drama and podcasting hmm. right now. So I, I, I decided about four or five years ago that we were entering the Silver Age which I right. include you in the Silver Age. The Silver Age Ooh, of podcast. Silver Age. <laughs> the Silver Age of podcasting for me was after the people who started off, like myself and some other people, we inspired some people who were listening, going, "Hey, this is really cool. We can give it a shot." And so mm-hmm. they made their own. That was the Silver Age. Now we're into like I call the Bronze Age, where there is so many people. Most of them haven't even heard of the Gold or Silver people anymore. They picked up mm-hmm. stuff from like cereal. And uh, some of these other like black tapes podcast and went, wow, this mm-hmm. is cool. And I'm the only one in the world doing this. Or there's like, <laughs> uh-huh. there's like two or three really cool people. And they have no idea, like the history of things like Greg Taylor and Dakota ring theater. Who's done like 200 right. episodes, you know, <laughs> like, so it's, well, after welcome to night Vale took off, I mean, yeah. how many new podcasts suddenly came out like that? For sure. For sure. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Well, that isn't that what always happens, though? I mean, the second generation is inspired by the first, but the third generation has no idea about the first generation, usually. Yeah, I think that's the case. And, and uh, boy, when I posted that, I had some people sort of sitting there going, because <laughs> people like to think they're always in the golden age, right? They're right, saying, yep. We're, no, we're still in the golden age. It's like, no, I'm sorry. It's been, <laughs> it's been <laughs> 12 years now, and in internet times, we're probably on our fifth generation. But I'm being generous by saying we're on our third, right? So. 
Right. Now, Jack, is the Sonic Society your only podcast, or have you done a couple different ones over the years? Oh, I, yeah, I've done a ton of couple. I mean, and they've been sort of short-term ones. Uh, recently, yes, last year in the Sonic Society was our 10th anniversary, right? So mm-hmm. we, I did a couple of extra sort of additional shows on the Sonic Society. I did Sonic Echo because my co-host now is David Alt, the incredible actor. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. he, being from Britain, he's never heard old-time radio stuff from North America. So I wanted sort of like a love letter to him to say, hey, buddy, this is really cool stuff. So I did a little theme every month, and I'd like, you know, no October or September mm-hmm. was Western month. And I went through all my favorite <laughs> Westerns and just gave him a taste of all those and uh, wow. and then so you go back and listen to them because it sounds like you've unsubscribed. So uh, <laughs> and then I, I and then I yet. did Sonic uh, Speaks, which um, I, every once in a while in the past I used to do interviews, but Sonic mm-hmm. Speaks was a new interview every week. Um, and so I was doing three shows a week at this point, and it was it was rough. So I'm uh, people told me that they wanted me to at least keep Sonic Speaks. So I've been doing a, a new interview every month on the Sonic Society through that. That's good. Before wow. that, I think we did um, Sonic uh, Sonic Gold, which we tried to do very shortly for a sort of a paid podcast. Mm-hmm. That was an interesting experiment. I, I didn't have the time to do that in Sonic Society or a job. So right. <laughs> if I was going to do that again, I'd have to do, change that up. Um, was um, just to stop for a second. Was Sonic Gold actually a success? I know that was actually, as you said, a paid podcast. Would you say that financially it was a success? Um, I would. I don't know. I had about fifty subscribers who were willing to mm-hmm. pay. Is that a success? Right. I don't know. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's enough to pay those bills. It wouldn't be enough for me to quit my job, right? Right. Um, obviously. And yeah. if I went for a second season, who knows? Right. It was. It was a new mm-hmm. thing, but we just didn't get the chance to continue. Uh, right. Um, I created another show called um, uh, North of Reality because I love Mysterious Universe and I love I remember that. I yes. love paranormal stuff. And uh, I did that with a friend of mine, uh, Antonia Minette. And but she moved away. And so just as a present, I said, OK, well, you take care of the show for now. And she's kind of dropped it. So it's died. But it's still there and I can pick it up at any time. And now hmm. I, I have. um uh, the Electric Vicuna podcast going on on Dramapod, and that's been mm. on hiatus for a while for all sorts of technical reasons that I don't want to get into here. But I, it, it will be coming back. I actually just recorded a whole bunch of new stuff, and all I wanted to do with the Electric Vicuna podcast was a lot of people were saying to me, "I know you've done over the eleven years like a ton of your own shows." in the mm-hmm. Sonic Society, and I know we can pull it down from your website at evicuna.com. Mm-hmm. Ching ching. Um, but uh, is there Check it out, folks. is there a podcast that has just your original stuff? And I went, um, no, no, there isn't. And then a friend of mine, Tim Heffernan, who who started the Drama Pod, had this idea to have people podcast off of his website and have like this massive showcase of podcasts on his website mm-hmm. that he would he would take care of. And he asked me if I would start one. And I went, well, this is perfect timing. So I just created the Electric Vicuna podcast and started from the beginning, all the old shows that we had done and started putting them in there. And uh, I think we got like 30 shows up there. And so we've got Mm. a ton more that are coming because I try to keep around an hour or so of shows. So I I put up all of the uh, Firefly Old Wounds shows that we did because we did a Firefly Mm -hmm. fan fiction. Boy, did that get us a lot of listeners. 
Uh, we did the first one on, on, in, uh, in the internet, the first audio drama Firefly on the internet, which was a huge thing. So that was fun. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we, you know, there's just a lot of sort of, uh, Twilight Zone, um, style shows and, and, uh, Wavefront, which is Outer Limits style shows and The Deadline, which is Alfred Hitchcock style shows mm-hmm. and, and a couple of other neat shows that we did and continue to do. And I'll continue to up- upload that and update it as I release more of my own stuff. So I think that's all the podcasts I've done. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you are definitely experienced at <laughs> podcasting. You, you, you really are like right up there with um, Methuselah at this point, as far as <laughs> podcasting goes. <laughs> Thanks. I, I mean, it's, it's. I'm amazed Adam Curry hasn't interviewed you. <laughs> I, you know, I'm not going to admit this to anybody but you guys. But okay. there is there is a kind of snobbishness that happens among podcasters that I don't get. And mm-hmm. there was like a whole group of audiobook people that started to come at this time as well. And right. I, I interviewed them because I thought, hey, this is a great thing that we can cross interview. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they completely snubbed me and completely mm-hmm. snubbed anybody doing audio drama. And I thought right. it was really kind of bad taste. And I remember writing a little thing about uh, how, you know, sort of Miss Manners style, if I interviewed you for my show. It's kind of cool if you do the same thing for your show. And uh, I just sort of put it out there sort of publicly. And one of the people that I actually was trying to hit with wrote back and Mm -hmm. went, well, I don't think so. I don't think that uh, we have, we we should have to do that after all. So, and I went, okay, you, you, you get it without even knowing that I'm talking about you. So that's right. But it's still that yeah. way. I'm, there's still this kind of this, and I don't know what it is. Not everybody's this way, of course. But audio drama people, I I found are like the coolest people in the room when it comes to podcasters. I would agree. They're mm-hmm. really giving. They love to collaborate. I mean, we've got our eccentricity people as well, but they're they're totally totally my tribe. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you. Well, I think they're very much um like they're drama people basically as you said i mean people love audio drama drama's right there that drama is social it's communal it's people working together mm-hmm. whereas i think many podcasters are kind of in it for themselves i mean there's a natural tendency for podcasters to be self-focused even ones that do interview shows the show is still partly about them and their interests right mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so I think that they, yeah, they're only interested in what can promote them or content for their show to get people listening to them. Yeah, those guys suck. And the thing, exactly. to be honest, I, I really feel that that is self-defeating. Like, mm. the, I, I hope that people get, because at the very end of every season, I am, uh, you know, it may sound over the top, but I am so grateful for our listeners. And I'm so mm-hmm. grateful, like, they... I talk about the ones who write me and say that they're grateful that I'm there. Oh my God, I'm grateful you're there because in these 12 years, I've gone through all sorts of bad times. There were times mm-hmm. that the shows were like really late because I just couldn't, I couldn't go up to the microphone. I just couldn't. I was just in, right. going through the worst times of my life. And mm-hmm. I, but knowing people were there going, yeah, it's okay, Jack, whenever you get to it, that's fine. But we yeah. really still want to hear from you. We still want yeah. you to do this show. And I never threatened. I don't like those podcasters that go, okay, well, if you guys don't tell me you like me, I'm going to quit. I'm never <laughs> going to do that. Or if you don't pay me a certain amount of money, I'm going to quit. 
that's not what I'm here for. And nothing against those people who feel that they need that money. I think that mm-hmm. this is indeed an opportunity to, for me, I think I've become a better writer by doing this show. I think I've mm-hmm. gotten a chance to meet incredible people. Rob, you and I would not be friends if it wasn't for exactly. this show. And mm-hmm. now That's you true. and I, Don, who are, I'm really glad to know you and to continue to get to know you. I'm so grateful for these opportunities. And I think people need to start thinking that more often instead of saying, mm-hmm. what are you going to get from me? Yeah, I agree. You know what it kind of sounds like? Mm-hmm. Uh, that it's, it's as you're getting down the line, like, um, when it comes to any of the nerdly arts, I'm always contemptuous of what I call the, and I'm doing the air quotes, educated fan base, which are mm-hmm. the people that they know all the, the, the customs and they all, all the shtick for whatever their medium or their genre is. And they know that, no, if the hero does this at the beginning, at the end, they have to do that. Cause I do find you get the, a bit of snobbery from that. And you tend to get a lot of people that don't seem to enjoy what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about some of the uh, some of the the later later uh, podcasters and that that seem to be in it more for themselves or more to uh, to, to self promote, it almost seems like it's that attitude, but it can take more it can it take more of a, a concrete form because you're not just a fan; you're also uh, a producer at that point. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I, I found, and especially in this third generation of the audio drama people, there's almost a disdain for the past. Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God, we don't want to be like those old time radio people. Cause those old time <laughs> radio people are awful. And, and it's, it's, there's this real rejection of that kind of thing. Right. And, and that kind of rankles me a little bit because I'm, I'm a big person who honors the past. Even if I'm going to go away from it in one way or another, I, I don't want to disrespect what people have done in the past and what yeah. people continue to do, which is really great. But there is this kind of strange snobbery which is going on. It's like, And we have these conversations or great conversations about how many sound effects do you put in? Do you add in music? Is if a person is doing narration, is that an audio book that's multicast or is that an audio drama that's augmented? I mean, all these kind of conversations become <laughs> the weird nerdly arts. And there are people who will just stand like, oh, no, I will not listen to this if this person is doing this or whatever. And I, I'm a I'm an omnivore, which is why I love the audio, uh, the, the, the Sonic Society. I've taken hits throughout the years because people go man, you really should, you know, not play that show. That show's really badly <laughs> done and blah, 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 blah. And I went, buddy, what I don't like, you may like. And what you may like, mm-hmm. I may not like. The Sonic Society isn't about my choice. You know, I'm not the one sitting there saying, well, this doesn't hit the Jack Ward cut. I'm the one saying, hey, this is something new somebody put out. What do you guys think? Do you like it? It's kind of cool. We'll try something else. And I think that, that that's a far better way of sort of broadening the whole genre than to sit there yeah. and say, you know, I am I am the, the owner of taste. I do that enough as an English teacher. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. So, now you, that's your job as an English teacher. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Now, you, you hit at something, too, You both, both of you guys were talking about that I find interesting about podcasting. And I'm wondering if especially the guys who do the audio dramas, what I noticed, because... Um, they seem to really take off at the turn of the last century. So like the early 2000s, you had a lot of people doing this stuff. And they were all following 
the old time like radio dramas, whichever medium or, or, or genre they were doing, they were following that kind of format and they were kind of adopting that. And I thought, first off, it's interesting that you're using technology almost 100 years more advanced to bring this back. And I'm wondering if, if either of you guys have any idea why was that so prevalent? Like that, that really the, the classic old timey radio stuff was such a draw for the people who made like uh, what well, the the golden age of podcasting. I can well, can, I can speak okay. for myself, but I'll let you go first, Rob. Well, actually, I was going to comment on um, since I do teach some media studies on the side. A standard phenomenon for any new medium that comes out is is that it takes pieces of the medium that came before it. Mm-hmm. And or the medium that's most connected to it that came before it. So it's very logical that when podcasting, which is essentially a new form of radio in a lot of ways, it couldn't really draw from TV. They had to pretty much draw from the last dominant form of audio, which was, of course, radio. Mm-hmm. And they delve back into um, the golden age of radio because that's when it was, again, dominant. As opposed to later on when radio just became a news service and a few other things. At least that's... Um, what I think happened. I mean, even when radio started, they were basically just playing records and had people doing book readings and plays. I mean, whatever, and and TV, when TV started, they basically took so much from radio, it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Like, even the commercial structure we use today, and the commercial formats we use today, are all from radio. Yeah, right. Or Sorry, or, 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 for TV. I mean, the TV for, commercial format is actually developed for radio. NBC, ABC, CBS... Those are all radio networks that were created that jumped over to TV. Hmm. I mean, there's so much of radio in our television even today, although, again, thanks to Netflix and such, that's disappearing. So at least from my take, it's I think it was perfectly natural for um, the podcasters to draw back from the golden age of radio for um, for their content. Hmm. In some cases, literally. Yeah. Um, did any other thoughts, Jack? No, I think I think that's that's absolutely true. I mean, uh, when you think about the very first radio drama, and I'm trying to remember the name of it, but uh, what was really fascinating was a BBC production, and they were experimenting with it. I don't know if you knew about this, but it's um, what I thought it was Willis Cooper's Lights Out. No, no, it was before that. It was like. It was like blackout or something. And what it was was miners who um, the mine had collapsed on them and they couldn't see anything. No, 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 Jack. Lights Out was the name of the show. Blackout was an episode of Lights Out and it was about miners trapped in the cave. Okay. I'll go with that. At least um, that's at least what I've always researched and looked at. That's what I've always seen. And so, and up until then, he'd basically been doing kind of readings. Yeah. And uh, then, then he decided to do this thing where it's like, well, since there's a bunch of people trapped in a cave, let's simulate it. Okay. And it was super popular hmm. because of the sound effects. And so they thought, okay, we'll do more of that. And it eventually evolved into audio drama it, or ra- sorry, radio drama. Radio drama. Yeah. Well, the reason why I yeah. was suggesting maybe that isn't is because Lights Out was a very famous sort of horror series that came in, in America. It doesn't mean that they didn't port it over from BBC. God knows they do that all the time, too. So that's why oh, yeah. I was a little that's confused. I'm pretty sure that's an American show, though. It wasn't a British show. Yeah, well, the BBC came out with the very first one. It was the. It's. I, we'll have to. We'll have to look that up at some point. Um, okay, it'll be in the show notes. It'll be in anyway. the show notes for sure. I know from myself. It's funny. I when I started doing all these interviews with people like me who sort of started doing this, people like 
um, Bill Hallwig and, and Paul Mannering, who created Broken Sea Audio, not long after we did the, the, uh, the audio uh, Sonic Society, about a year or two after, they started doing Broken Sea Audio, and they had been doing stuff from darker projects before that. Um, all these people who started off doing this stuff had almost the exact same childhood as I had. They grew up somewhere where there was only one or two television stations, um, they had parents that had given them records of old time radio. My dad gave me Superman episodes one and two from the old time radio <laughs> show on record. Mm -hmm. I have Flash Gordon. I have Buck Rogers. I have Conan the Barbarian from Marvel's, uh, uh, series that they did a whole series of, of, uh, records, um, uh, power records power yeah. records presents yeah, power records. Uh, mm -hmm. and i found other ones there too but those were the ones basically that i'd listened to over and over and over again and uh so i had this built in and then of course the years that i grew up in the 70s and the 80s were pretty high times still for cbc radio we we tuned in to listen to them when there wasn't something really cool to watch on television, which was more often than not. So we, we, we began with that kind of experience and we went, Oh God, remember when this happened? And then by the time we got to university, I was able to take a lot of these shows out of the library and cassette and listen to them while I was doing menial tasks. And that was pretty cool. So I thought, wow, this is kind of neat. But it was still impossible when I was in university to really sit down and make them because we still only had the tapes. Right. Yeah. And so splicing tapes and putting in sound effects <laughs> would have been a full time job to try to figure that yeah. out. So yeah. Yeah. I couldn't do it at the time. And so then when the time came that we were talking about this, my friend and I at the time, Andrew Dorfman, he had this experimental Internet radio station called DV8 and wanted me to do a radio drama. And I went, oh, that'd be so cool. But I won't do one. I'll do a series because I'm that stupid. And uh, of and and then Deviate fell through, and I went, oh, but I'm I'm all psyched to do radio drama now. So we hiked down to CKDU, the university radio station, gave them a pitch, and everybody goes to these community radio stations to do like to be a DJ. Everybody wants to do music, but what they don't know is that Canada has, especially community radio stations, university radio stations, they have a a certain percentage of actual talk shows that you have to have. So they were like, mm -hmm. oh, my God, desperation. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll have this because this we can we can hold on to this as a talk version only and not just music. Uh, so we got on we got on their list on a Tuesday night. And even though we're no longer on the Tuesday night on CKDU, that's always been our drop point for 12 years, almost 13 years, I guess now. So, Yeah. You've been doing it for a while. There's no question on that. So while you were talking, I did a little check, and I think what's going on is, is the BBC were producing lots of um, audio. Well, okay, they were producing lots of plays for radio, but they the thing is that they weren't really making much in the way of use of like sound effects right. and other things like that. So the reason why lights out is generally considered to be the first radio drama in a lot of ways or radio play take your pick it's because it focused on the unique qualities of radio it was one of the first ones that was truly written for radio rather than again going back to what i said earlier a play like shakespeare or something that someone was just adapting right and that's why they can't so bbc was doing them there's no question on that but they were not really taking advantage like sound effects they weren't really creating a 
a true production, a true audio production. Right. It's kind of the difference between, I guess the best way to describe it is, the BBC were doing something equivalent of taking a poem and then maybe adding music behind it. Right. As opposed to a song, which is in a whole audio production with lyrics and levels of instruments and other things like that. For sure, for sure. And so in that sense that um, generally it's considered Willis Cooper's Lights Out was probably the very first. Sure. So, okay, so there we go. So in a way we're both right. Yeah. But um, <laughs> as usual. I think I, well, I think I originally read it and I, on, in my, my copy of the, the Scriptwriter's Bible by J. Michael Straczynski. I think that's where I first mm-hmm. read it. And so I, yep. yeah, so I have to go back and check that too. But that makes perfect sense. I know we've kind yeah. of like, I'd love to say that radio drama is like the majority of podcasting, but no, it isn't. I mean, let's be honest. Radio drama is one of the smallest portions of podcasting. Podcasters have um, really become the, the, the new disc jockeys, the radio people of every Mm -hmm. possible interest, every possible show. There are some podcasts that do nothing but just sort of run the microphones for four hours while people play a D and D session and then upload it. Right. So they're, they're everything. And to be honest, I was just thinking about this the other day. This is podcasting paved the way for YouTubers. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because YouTubers are doing what podcasters have been doing now for over a decade. They're connecting with each other. They're going on each other's shows. They're trying to build their audience. They're based mm-hmm. on any kind of any kind of interest that they want. Some, many YouTubers, they'll put up some graphical stuff, but most of it's just audio. You know what I mean? So yeah. mm-hmm. there, there are some really good people that spend a lot of time doing video stuff, but they recognize that that takes a lot of energy and such you'll get most of those commentators and ranters that will throw up a little picture here or a picture there right yeah, and, yeah. but they'll continue with their spiel yeah 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 because that was where i noticed uh i always kind of figured the idea of of uh podcasting as we know it started was when you first had the internet you had uh they they they, they called them blogs back in the day and those were mm-hmm. basically editorials and mm-hmm. then when it the technology advanced a little bit. People realized, well, I could do audio, and then they did audio because that was easier than doing all the typing. And and mm-hmm. then I think that's where you got like from that came YouTube because then when it became feasible, you could put pictures to that. It's just everybody filming everything and hoping it goes viral, kind of thing. Yeah, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. And definitely everyone films everything. YouTube gets like, I don't remember how many thousands of hours per, per minute goes yeah. up on YouTube, but it's an astounding number. It's like it's like humanity is literally documenting itself on YouTube. And it's all ca- cats and crotch injuries. That's all it is. <laughs> A lot of it, yeah. And cats with crotch injuries. <laughs> those get Most double. cats inflicting crotch injuries. They, they, those get the double yeah, views. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. What's fascinating, though, for and we haven't really mentioned this, but there was a lot of time where many of us were just holding on for hope. There was lots of times when people were saying, you know, is podcasting dead? Nobody's using mm-hmm. it. Nobody's trying it. I mean, probably around year five or something, it was a real serious question about whether or not anybody was listening anymore. If this was going to go the way of, of you know, CB radio operators and yeah. and ham radio, where it was just <laughs> very, very few people listening, and then serials showed up, and the well, yeah, let me and the game well, changed, right? Just going to comment. Sorry to interrupt. That um, every year. 
and I've been teaching at my current position for, I just finished my eighth year at the college. And every year in the fall, I ask my students, you know, just show of hands, how many of you have listened to a podcast? Mm -hmm. And for a long time, and I mean, we'll say six of those eight years, I would get maybe, you know, two, maybe three sometimes, sometimes none of my class out of a group of, say, 30 students Mm -hmm. would raise their hand. To make things even worse, one of the groups I teach are actual radio DJs. Wow. And they would only, like, only literally one or two of them would raise their hands. Yep. And the radio DJs is not 30. The radio DJs class is usually 50 students. Right. And so then suddenly, about two years ago, suddenly more than two or three raised their hands. Yep. And then suddenly this past year, I'd say 90% of them raised their hand. Wow. It's this incredible explosion. Yeah. And it's funny because I, like, I had a very similar thing with my students, but I didn't even say, have you listened to it? I would say, have you heard of it? And you'd be surprised how many hadn't heard of it. But of course... I, when I first started at the school that I'm at, I asked them if they heard of Twitter and they'd never heard of that. Yeah. Like it was like one person wow. said like Twitter, what are you talking about? That was like, <laughs> it's like seven, eight years ago. Right. And I, and mm-hmm. I was a new user of Twitter, never liked Twitter, but I was using it for the Sonic Society and I still don't care too much with it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, is there's not a person in that room that doesn't know what Twitter is now. In fact, many yeah, of them have true. abandoned Facebook and are on Twitter. So. I think they're more on Instagram right now than than Facebook, but yeah, yeah, or Twitter. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that, right? And Snapchat, Snapchat. Yeah, exactly. Sick so. pics for all. Yeah. <laughs> that's the that's what the guys are hoping for anyway, or the girls maybe. I'm that, not sure. That's that's uh, that's chat roulette, and that no longer is a big thing, thank God. So. No, I think Snapchat has its fair no, number yeah. of dick pics and everything, no, too. Really? I mean, uh, yeah. Well, Snapchat's the one where supposedly, once you send it, it self-erases after 30 seconds. Oh, okay. It was literally created so people could do, <laughs> you know, as they call sexting. Oh, wow. Wow. Although, very quickly, people figured out ways around that. Mm-hmm. But... Well, it sends a warning apparently that if you know, you send like some inter- some picture to someone and they take a screenshot of it, it sends a note back to them that the screenshot was taken of this picture. Jeez. Of course, really, that doesn't matter at that point. Okay, so you know that the guy you sent the picture to or girl you sent the picture to has just made a copy of it. They still have a copy. Yeah. See, this is what Anthony Weiner needed years ago. Poor Anthony Weiner, if he'd only used, just waited long enough for Snapchat, <laughs> his whole life exactly. would be different. There you... Yeah, it would. Poor, poor, yes. ironic Anthony Weiner. Yes. Yep, exactly. <laughs> the most, you'd think with a name like that, you'd be especially concerned, right? So... You would. You would. <laughs> See, my name is Anthony Weiner. I think I'll send dick pics out over the internet. <laughs> that's right. Nobody oh, that's will know. Like Nobody will know. <laughs> Exactly. Oh, so on that terrible tangent, can we get back to podcasting? (laughs) I think Don wants to. Okay, Okay, because you guys kind of hit it two things that I think are are interesting about the the whole process, Mm -hmm. and one is that nothing ever really dies. I mean, like I said, you everybody in North America anyway, because the Brits never stopped doing radio plays, but everybody in North America would be like, why would I want to listen to people like talking a story? That's kind of stupid. I got like videotape. And then that <laughs> comes back. And um, it's the idea when too, when you look at something like, uh, like podcasting, it's really difficult to tell 
how prevalent or, or, or popular things are because there's just so much. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can, you can like, um, if you go looking, like you, you can pick anything, like say you want to find podcasts of people doing like old timey Westerns mm-hmm. and you'll find, you'll find a couple and you're like, Oh, somebody's doing that. And then it's just this rabbit hole of madness that then there'll be like tons of them. And then these guys are linked to these guys. And then these guys link to these guys. And then there's these other guys that are doing comedy ones and there's horror cowboy podcasts. And, and it's just, because there's so much of it out there and it doesn't, I guess, consolidate mm-hmm. too mm-hmm. often that you can keep, you can find weird little pockets of anything. Yeah. Well, that's the internet. Mm-hmm. And, and, and for a long time, the Sonic Society was the place you could go. <laughs> <laughs> it still is to a certain degree, but there are even more people out there. It's always amazing. You know, people who are new to the whole thing who go, yeah, I've never heard of the Sonic Society before. And I've been making radio dramas now for 14 months or whatever. And I'm like, that's incredible because the first thing I do whenever I get into something is I go, who else is doing this? Mm -hmm. How can I do what they're doing and do it better, you know, or do something different. Right. Right. So, and, and yet there's a lot of people that are out there and they're not even bothering to look up what other people are doing. That's what I said. I think this is the third generation where they may not have even bothered listening to first or the second generation. This is the Bronze Age. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, no, no, that makes sense. Sure. It's um, hmm. an interesting question. I'm just checking to see right now if the Sonic Society is actually listed under the under the Wikipedia page for audio drama. Mm. Is it listed there? Because I know there was a time when they actually used to have... Nope, it's not. No, there you go. Uh, But everybody... Someone should add it. Yeah, Hmm. somebody should. I can't. But I mean, uh, once in a while, people used to add it, and then people would take it down for some reason. Other people would take it down, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I know that now you should have the right to do it, because actually, if you look up uh, iTunes, this shows where we've really come. iTunes now mm-hmm. has a modern audio drama page on iTunes. Right. And Sonic Society is one of the prominent places there, as shown as the, the people that are there for that. So, and so is, I believe, I, I kind of fought to have Dakota Ring Theater up there for the same reason. Um, and, of course, Radio Drama Revival and a couple of others, you know, Our Fair City and stuff like that. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I, I think that we're, we should be at a point where, and, and again, for me, it's not ego. I just want people to come and listen to the cool stuff so they can go away making cool stuff. Because there's so much stuff out there in our, our archives that I'm just mm-hmm. sure it's going to inspire people, you know? Oh, yeah, I believe it. You've, yeah, you've covered so much. It's just incredible. I figured that we have almost 150 different artists. Not 150 different shows over 150 different artists. The Sonic mm-hmm. Society regular season, which only goes from September to about June, we're at four, so we just released 466 episodes of that. Huh, right. And we're not even counting our summer seasons, which go from July to August, or to the end of August. Those are entirely different numbers, and those have been going since the beginning. And we're not counting any extras that we put in on top of all the regular Sonic Society shows. So, I mean, we, we got to be getting closer to 1,000 at this point, 1,000 shows. Right. I, I'm going to have to count them all at one point, but <laughs> it's it's a lot of process. So, 
Actually, I'm going to add you, not right now, but I'm going to add Sonic Society to the radio drama section on Wikipedia because it's just a crime that you're not here. I mean, I'm looking at the list of what's here. Not here, even Dakota Ring Theater isn't here. Yeah, and they are on Wikipedia. And they are in Wikipedia, yeah, exactly. They have a bunch and, of fans who've done really well to keep pushing it in there until it actually stays. Yeah. But I can see there's things like, uh, what is it, Escape Velocities here. They didn't do that many episodes. No. Phil Foglio's Girl Genius, yeah. which he only did like six whole, I think maybe six episodes of, yeah. is here. Like, there's a whole bunch of things that are like, that literally only did a handful of episodes, and yet somehow they're here, but you guys are not. That's right. And this is... This is criminal. By the way, Jack, every now and then, when you're speaking, there's suddenly you're either you're tapping with your foot, or you're tapping something on there, so I can hear thump, 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 oh. thump. Often when you're making, often you're doing it, I think to make emphasis oh. you, without unconsciously, you're <laughs> tapping your hand or something like that on the table or something. Wow, well, there you go. That's the problem. I so sh- just I should have my headphones on. There you go. All right. So all right. So we've gotten off track a little bit. Yeah. So Don, what do you want to talk about next? Well, I'm just, when you guys are talking about that, like that's one of the things. Uh, if you remember at the beginning of this episode here. It was mm-hmm. mentioned what counts as success. And I think that ties in with like on the Wikipedia is that you can look at volume produced mm-hmm. and then you can you can look at like audience because I've seen stuff that gets listed like say on Wikipedia or other like sites dedicated to whatever the medium is. And these are things that are only getting like say a hundred views like whenever something mm-hmm. new goes up. Mm-hmm. And they're put up there with things that are getting like hundreds of thousands of views. Yeah. And unless you look at that, there really isn't any different uh, differential between that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's actually that's a very good point, though. Uh, you know, what makes you know an audio drama successful? Mm-hmm. Or sorry, uh, uh, this isn't supposed to be about audio drama. What makes a podcast successful? Mm-hmm. And I guess the answer is um, that someone else listens Mm -hmm. and it doesn't really matter whether it's one someone else or a million someone else's really i mean everyone has their own standard but it's like any art really as long as some other person out there gets something out of it Mm -hmm. the artist has technically done their job yeah yeah and i used to say to people i said like they were saying like what what's what's the key to to doing you know successful radio drama and shows and stuff like that and i went consistency 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 mm-hmm. because if Definitely. you can drop every single time and they know it doesn't matter if it's once a month or if it's every other week or or if it's weekly or daily as long as they know that you're going to drop it at the same time you will build an audience they will mm-hmm. they will forgive that it's not the best quality even <clears throat> and i wasn't coughing ironically i literally had to cough there um <laughs> But mm-hmm. it, th- that's what happens. Like I, Greg Taylor, after twelve years, only missed a deadline once, and wow. he used to go every other week. He now goes once a month, and that's because on top of doing, I don't know if you've listened to Dakota Ring, uh, but you should if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, um, because he does. Two, he has two main things that he does, and they're all original and they're all old timey. And one is Blackjack Justice, which is old detective noir mm-hmm. style, and the which are awesome, which are awesome. And one is mm-hmm. the Red Panda, which mm-hmm. is very much the Shadow, uh, yeah. a, a yeah. Canadian version of the Shadow. And he does it with his own actors, and they come up with their own shows. And Greg is a writing, producing, acting machine. 
The, not only yep. did he do a brand new show every two weeks, which Rob will tell you, I, I'm not kidding, it's crazy to do that. It is. Um, yep. and, and successfully so, but he's also written something like eight books um, mm-hmm. and, and has comic books out. You can go buy his comic books online. Uh, that he's done the writing and he's got another guy who does all the artwork and it's fantastic. And so he's he is just constantly making, 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 making. And it's because of that consistency that he's he hits numbers that even the Sonic Society, you know, blushes at that, you know, he's he gets, mm-hmm. you know, 60,000 to 100,000 listeners every time he drops a show. Yep. Mm-hmm. As he should. As yeah. he should. And and, yeah. and what makes me angry, and I'm just going to say this again, is that there are people out there who claim that they're that they know audio drama and that they're the ones there to tell you about how to do audio drama, and they never mention him and they never interview him and they just ignore him. And I think that makes me that makes me furious for him because he, mm. he there is no harder working audio drama guy. Who does it for free? There are harder working mm-hmm. people do who do it for like Jerry Robbins is certainly a harder working guy. I was going to so. say Jerry Robbins does it more, but he's doing it for but money. He's doing mm-hmm. it for cash too. You know, not a lot, mm-hmm. but he's doing it for cash. Um, but this guy has been doing it for free for twelve years, and nobody yep. gives him. I shouldn't say nobody. His fans love him, but a lot yep. of people in the in the industry right now don't give him the due that's that's necessary. And you know that, Greg. Greg, I love you, man. If you're listening out there, <laughs> keep it up. Mm. Don't give it up because you're you. Everybody loves what you're doing. It's great. But I think actually, Jack, you just touched on something. Sorry to interrupt, Don, or take this from you, but um, sorry to. I'll bring this up early, Don, in case you were planning to do it later, I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think there's also the issue of money. Yeah. Like, let's be honest. Um, there's no money in audio drama. I mean, unless you're Jerry Robbins or one or two other people, at least in North America. In Britain, there's a little more. Mm-hmm. But uh, in general, in, there's no money in audio drama. And uh, unless you can do something really special with it. Right. Um, one of the tr- – audio drama is audio. It's – Literally audio. So unless you're selling the recordings, um, it's difficult to make money with it. I mean, if you're a uh, web comics person, for example, you can produce T-shirts, yeah. cups, posters, videos, merchandise like crazy, and make money from it. Because mm-hmm. we. Talk- but if you're oh I, sorry, I was gonna say we talked about that the uh, the last show. Yeah, exactly. But if you're an audio drama guy. Or girl, you have the audio drama, and that's it. I mean, the best you can do is maybe spin it off into like Greg Taylor's done a little bit, making novels and maybe uh, working with some people to make some comics or something like that of your characters or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that's pretty much it. I mean, you are pretty limited in what you can do to monetize audio drama. And now, mind you, most audio drama that I'm aware of was started before Patreon came out. I don't know if there's any audio dramas right now that are actually using Patreon to survive. I know there are a number of podcasts that are. Oh, yeah. There's a but, lot of audio drama groups that are trying to use Patreon. I don't know how well it's working. I just know that they are mm-hmm. utilizing it. And you know what? Right. I, I, I'm, I have trouble with that. I, not that for them. I'm, I'm glad that they're doing it. But for myself... The hardest thing for me to do is ask people to support the Sonic Society through PayPal or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's, it's, it's my own personal thing. I understand that if I make something that I want to sell, and I think that there's something worth there for me to sell specifically, then I want you to give me, you know, then I'd like to, then I'd like to be paid for that. 
But mm-hmm. but the idea of having you know people support me just because I'm doing the something that I love to do, I find much harder for me to do. And again, I think you're that's just me, right? So I was gonna say that's very Protestant Canadian. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think it's the the terrible Protestant work ethic that came from it. It, re- it really is because I'm the exact same way because we come from similar backgrounds. And so, yeah, it, I have the same tr- trouble doing that, but there's a lot of people who don't. And I can tell you there are some groups I know on YouTube that are making so much money off Patreon that they've quit their day jobs because yeah. they have so many patrons that are paying for, in some cases, literally whole teams of people have quit their day jobs to make YouTube videos and such thanks to Patreon. It's become a great force. Well, let's what? talk about the No Sleep podcast. D- okay, David, let's talk about David it. Cummings, it, that's what he does is the No Sleep podcast. And the, okay. it, for for if you if you don't never heard of it, No Sleep started off as a Reddit thread where people would write creepy stories. And, I'm familiar with it. I've been there. Yeah. And what David has done is he goes through those those threads, finds a story, gets an actor to be able to uh, perform it. Now it's more of an audiobook in that respect. They put creepy music behind it, original creepy music, and then they, he has people who subscribe to his podcast. And he makes plenty of cash from it, so much so that he's quit his day job. And now that's what he does. So every week you can get a brand new podcast. And it's kind of cool because he's already got his built-in audience because many of those people on the Reddit thread subscribe to his podcast. So it was a really clever way for him to be able to get some cash. I know David Alt often does uh, uh, short stories for the No Sleep podcast. Um, There's some you can get for free still. But almost all of them are behind a paywall, and that's what he pays for. He told me uh, once when I was talking to him, he said, what's really cool about this gig that I have now as this podcast guy is, I, you know, not only do I set my own hours, but I could literally pick up my stuff and move the entire studio to a totally different city in the world. And I, yeah, and could. I could live anywhere I want and still be able to do this, and I just might at times. So yeah. it's interesting. Okay. Yeah, that is interesting. I'm just glancing at Patreon right now since we're talking. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it looks like as far as like audio drama or that goes, and let's just say that most of them don't have many patrons. Like yeah. Icebox Radio has 31 patrons yes. and it's currently getting $169 a month. Yeah. Um, and again, he deserves it. I, I, I'm not going to argue that for a second. But it's interesting when I look – I'm looking down the list of like two patrons, one patron. Right. Now – there is one here called a Synesthesia Theater. Hmm. Are you familiar with them? Do not know them at all. Synesthesia Theater uh, podcast. They're producing full cast audio drama serial anthology, blah, blah, blah. Currently, 1.8 thousand patrons. Right. Wow. I have never even heard of these never guys. Never even heard of these a, guys. Apparently, 1,800 patrons. Mm-hmm. So. And are making, uh, it doesn't say how much they're making, but you can guess a substantial amount. So I'm just uh, let's see. Synesthesia Theater. We're producing full cast audio serials, etc. Their first serial, Iron Horses Can't Be Broken. Hmm. If you're, uh, let's see. And yes, yeah, somehow they have one point. Wait a moment. Oh no, it said it listed as one point eight thousand. But now that I'm actually on their site, I only have eleven patrons. There you under, go. From Michael Corlum. So I don't know why it said one point eight thousand there before, but. Hmm. Now, Michael Corlin sounds familiar, so I might have seen him on the um, – there's a, there's a Facebook group that I created. I, we, we were very lucky to win um, bronze on one of the Mark Time Awards one year, 
And uh, I'm I, I, I again, it, it's it's me. I don't tend to put my stuff out for awards because I don't want to do it for those reasons. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But whenever I do a, a show that I've written and and because I, I only do the ones I write for the most part, uh, right. but when when actors have done a really good job and a producer's done a really good job, I feel I owe it to them to be able to see if they've won something because I really appreciate the work that they've done and I think that they deserve it. So mm -hmm. uh, David Alt, actually, that's where we met. He's him doing this one show with my my previous uh, co-host, and uh, mm -hmm. we won we won bronze. And we were sitting there, all these radio drama people, and uh, Domine and Aline uh, uh, De Groot uh, at the time she was Aline Hoskins. They had won gold for their incredible series, the Witch Hunter series, and their epic audio. Right. And yes. she was saying, do we have, like, a radio drama group on Facebook? And I went, we will now. So I ran, like, <laughs> ran upstairs to my room, typed in radio drama, audio drama lovers, audio drama, radio drama Jack, here lovers. I can hear your fingers tapping away as you're saying <laughs> that. Because I'm typing it in. Audio drama, yes. radio drama lovers. And, uh, and, and suddenly we've got, you know, what, 800 people there who's, who are after a couple of years of that. So... That's where I, I get a lot of people through that. Um, I know mm -hmm. a while ago we were saying, this was years ago, about 2005, 2006, like, where's the forums for radio drama or audio drama? And one of our listeners said, oh, well, I can do that. And he created audiodramatalk.com. Yep. And so that's where that's come from. So we've had, we've been lucky to be at the forefront of a lot of really cool opportunities to get people together to talk about mm -hmm. that. I should have mentioned Icebox Radio because there are other ones that started really, really early. I mean, Jeffrey mm -hmm. Adams actually did a, a series like The Sonic Society before I did it um, for about oh, a year okay. called Sound Stages. And then he gave it up and uh -huh. went back to, to uh, Icebox. And mm -hmm. although it was mostly his stuff, it was the same kind of thing, right, that he did for Sound right. Stages. And now he's gone so smart about Icebox He's, re, he's redeveloped it a couple of times, but he has set it up. It's actually a, um, a, no, a non-profit organization. Hmm. So he's, it's a benefit for you to be able to donate and become a member. And he, he does membership drives for Icebox Radio. And that's why hmm. I think he added in the Patreon, because Probably, it is yeah. a membership drive, non-profit organization that is community-based down in uh, in International Falls in Mm -hmm. in minnesota so very cool stuff technically we you should say up because minnesota because that part of the states is actually a little bit north of our location <laughs> and i, I don't it's, speak about that because we're usually <laughs> the uppest of the, of the load yeah because they're right on the canadian border and i so i think you know up on the what 39th parallel i think it is yeah and so they are 49th whatever it is and um so i think technically because we're don and i are in southwestern ontario and you're out in halifax yeah so i think technically they're all north he's north of us yeah, yeah. in a weird global way they're, but anyway yeah. sorry they're like or near fort mcmurray or something like that yeah, yeah in the canadian side it's incredible so mm. okay so any other questions don well, i was gonna say it's it's kind of interesting um when you talk about the problem that the uh, the the audio dramas have compared to other kinds of of like podcasting, I think, and this goes to your your third generation idea. One of the problems you run into with um, with audio, the like the audio dramas is it's an ensemble, mm -hmm. and there there's a bunch. Whereas a lot of podcasters will just be one person, 
and it's easy for that person to become a celebrity. Mm-hmm. And then that's what you capitalize off of. You can do appearances, you can do endorsements, you can do all kinds of other stuff to monetize it. Yeah. And I mean, Scott yeah. Sigler is a perfect example of that, where he's he's a, now a very famous uh, writer, an author mm-hmm. uh, in his own right. And he started off being a pod author, where he would mm-hmm. write a book and then he'd come in and do a dramatic reading of a chapter. And he'd do a right. chapter at a time and he'd build up his audience and he has an incredibly huge mm-hmm. audience. And then he'd say, okay, I'm going to put this in a store. I've got a, you know, a major publication that's going to do this. Show them that you love my work, buy it. And they'd all go out and buy his book, right? Even though he, they heard him speak it, he'd get a chance to go and edit it through a publisher, and it would be different enough. Even if it wasn't different mm-hmm. enough, they'd still buy it to have it to hold it kind of thing. Yeah, right, yeah. We, if they were big fans, yeah. How many people sit there and go, oh, my God, Jack Ward's putting out a new collection of his scripts? I have to go out and buy those scripts, right? You know, They don't do mm-hmm. that. People don't think that way. Now, there are, like you say, there's there's one person, but there are a lot who do – like two people who sit down. So they have somebody to talk to kind of thing and mm-hmm. talk against one of my favorite shows, which is no longer around, hasn't been around for years, but you might be able to find an old version of it is Destructamundo. And it was okay. about four or five guys who just sat there and drank beer. And every episode was the end of the world. And they were all talking. <laughs> it was a different way. How would you survive the end of the world? And they were all different ways. You know, so it would be like the viral plague outbreak, the zombie apocalypse they did in like a restaurant while they were eating wings. Actually, it was a bar with wings. Because mm-hmm. people were always expecting, like, the robot overlords come. It was so much fun because they actually had mm-hmm. thought this out. Like, oh, well, you got to make sure you do this and that and the other thing, right? You know, Oxi- oxidation is your, is your friend when the robot overlords come, <laughs> right? You know, like, right. it was just, it was a, such a fun show show and uh but those things again those things have like a a termination date because there's only so many episodes you can do with those kinds of things when you start running out of ways that the the world will will end yep that's true Mm -hmm. so the show came to an end yeah ironic (laughs) last episode destructimendo of destructimundo yeah Yeah, exactly they should have yeah done an episode about the show coming to an end yeah when you met they probably did actually Because when you mentioned doing like the a book of scripts and that stuff like that might work. Because again, we were talking about like uh, people who do web comics. A lot of them will put out compilations that are collections. It's it's a book. Usually they're square bound of the the comics and the website. Right. And a lot of them a lot of them do sell pretty well because it is that idea that people want something tactile and it's, it's right there. And it's mm-hmm. more immediate than a device, and and a lot of a lot of people. I'm wondering if that was something uh, you mentioned, like the audio dramas. People do serials, but what if they also wrote novels in those settings or with those characters? Yeah, well, that's one of the things I'm looking at. Um, mm-hmm. uh, to I'm looking at taking some of my short radio dramas or my even my longer radio dramas and maybe trying to put them into a short story format. Mm-hmm. And then selling them as a collection as a short story because a lot of people don't read script books, period. It's just that's not mm-hmm. something that they do. But I would add the scripts in the back, right? So right. it would be a larger book that you would get a version of if you if you bought an ebook of it. But there's a, a great gentleman, uh, Craig Robotham, who's from uh, Australia, and he has a I think it's Weird World Studios. 
And he has a great idea where and I think he just produced his first audio drama. But for years now, he's been doing audio drama, um, sort of like, like, you know, those mystery theme night things. But, yeah. you know, so have your friends come over and we'll read a script together. And he writes uh, his hmm. original scripts. And they're all sort of fun, kind of schlocky, you know, uh, the, you know, the, 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 the spider that ate you know, America or something or, <laughs> or, you know, superhero-y or something that reminds you of the old time radio. And not only does he sell those scripts in a book for people to buy so that they can do, this is your, this is your night of entertainment. He also suggests music to play at certain points. He suggests mm-hmm. a particular uh, meal to eat. These are the snacks you have huh. to have between first and second acts. Right. And this is which is brilliant. It's a brilliant idea because it brings those that community thing back together for people. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. I think he's done very well. He's got some you should go take a look at his site. Make sure you put that up in the show notes, Rob, because he's got some really great samples of that on his site where people can buy them. (laughs) Hmm. Okay. Now I'm wondering. Sounds interesting. What what if uh, somebody started doing because you mentioned power records and that kind of thing was big when we were kids. What if somebody did audio dramas that you would have a book that would be, if not a full comic, would have like illustrations and maybe prose from the the episode so you'd know when to turn the page kind of thing and started selling things like that to accompany the uh, the actual the actual plays? Well, I, I think Greg Taylor is actually doing that right now with a company. He's doing hmm. a kid's version of stuff with, with novel things that are going on. I'm not sure if they're doing the audio part of it, but he is certainly doing that. I, th- this is something that I think is, is actually missing in the audio drama pieces. Everybody wants to go like darker projects, darker and, and more hmm. adult and more stuff like that. But you know what? There's a whole generation of kids out there that listen to I- that have iPads and iPods and yeah. parents want them to do something other than just stare at the screen. Um, <laughs> you, there's an opportunity for kids' shows that aren't being used. I mean, there are some religious companies that have taken on that, right? Right. Um, but uh, the the main aspect is like I like I've got one that I'd love to sit down and do, but I got to make sure I get I, I have an idea of uh, sort of like uh, gnomes in the forest. Okay. And it's going to uh, it's going to be called Noble Beasts, mm-hmm. and um, so and, and I already have it sort of set out, but to, I have to find young actors to play those roles, and it's right. going to be mm-hmm. limited because as soon as they start growing, that'll be a problem. Jerry Robbins did uh, a series called Jerry and the Pirates, um, mm-hmm. and sort of jo- jokingly off of Terry and the Pirates, right? And mm-hmm. he, it was more like my free, three sons, and I think he's changed the name as he's redone it. But he had to recast the kids like three times because every time he would come out with a series, by the time he got another series, they grow, right? Right. <laughs> so yeah, that's the the main aspect is is that that would be a really cool thing. I know right. that Rob was talking about how you know you can do novels and that, and you and I have talked about how that's what I want to do with Biff Straker and Spaceways. I right. want to have a coloring book. I want to have novels. I want to have graphic novels. I would love to have, you know, stories with the graphic novels, you know, moving pain by pain with it to a certain degree. And of course, action figures, right? Mm-hmm. All those things, because I think, you know, I can 
can give away the, the, the audio drama for free to build that audience, but I also want to be able to get something back by providing all those great extras. Yeah. So those, those are possibilities and people haven't, like they've looked at the different models on how to, how to monetize and they've tried everything from selling it um, to subscribing to putting it on CDs to putting it off sites and I'm yeah. I, you know there's a great group called Chatterbox Theater and they're out of Tennessee really cool stuff great stuff a wonderful group of guys and they said look we could sell our stuff and they're top of the line by the way and they do all of their stuff live like they like to do live sound effects and everything too because uh-huh. they think it's much more fun to get involved to have everybody there they have a great studio right. and and they said look we could sell it and maybe get 20 people yeah. or you know or we can have 1500 people download it and really pass on what we're doing to different things so finding that model like we i joke about serial C- doing really well um, mm-hmm. The Truth Podcast doing really well. They're a good example of an audio drama company that did it um, in the modern audio appeal uh, by offering it for free as a podcast. To do mm-hmm. all those things, to be as successful as they are, they're on NPR. Wow. You know, they're still using terrestrial radio as their main way of getting this stuff out. And people like to say, well, you know, radio's dead. I'm sorry. Radio has never really died. They still pull big numbers. People yeah. still like to listen to radio. And until we can get radio drama back on the radio and stop playing constantly over and over again, Justin Bieber uh, <laughs> and other great hits. I'm saying Justin Bieber because I, I swim every morning. And uh-huh. his, his latest uh, song of Love Yourself, uh-huh. I swear to God, if I hear it again, <laughs> the, the pool could go get posts. I'll be hitting people with the skimmer uh, uh-huh. <laughs> just until we can get rid of that song because it just drives me crazy. I love, I always love CBC and I love radio drama because it's not something that's just mindlessly playing over and over again. It always yeah. engages my imagination. Yeah. Cause I think you've hit with the, the bit here You've got back to one of the, the the side effects of what you're talking earlier about the people who who have this snobbery is that if you're really looking to bring an idea to some kind of life nowadays, you really do have to kind of cross train in a bunch of different uh, different techniques. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and that's the thing. It's like uh, you have to really be open. People mm. sit there and say, um, you know, so. Are you are you an audio drama script writer? Is that like your only? Is that your medium? Is that your medium of choice? And yeah, I love audio drama, and yeah, I love to write for it. But really, I just love to write stories. Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons why I write audio drama is it's cheaper than trying to produce it as a movie by yeah. by by several grades <laughs> you know yeah. i don't have to worry about sets i don't have to worry about camera work i don't have to worry about makeup or costuming or special effects that way you know mm-hmm. i I've, I've got special effects for for audio drama i've got acting i've got production sound and music and i'm done you know and that's it so yeah. it's i can have something out relatively quickly compared to anything they can do on video Right. But I also have instant feedback from my audience going, wow, that was a really cool show. 
Can you make mm -hmm. another one like that? And as a writer, when you're writing a novel, unless you're doing the pod novel style like Scott Sigler, which keeps driving you forward, having that feedback from your act, from your audience yeah. really keeps making you want to make more because they like what you're doing. You know, writing is one of the most solitary pursuits unless yeah. you're creating action figures. That's even more solitary. <laughs> I just want oh, to throw that in for you, Don. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's... There's much more. If you want to talk solitary, try being a cartoonist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, even cartoonists, they, they uh, well, I guess I shouldn't say cartoonists, comic strip writers, right? Mm -hmm. They get, they can pull in almost more people by doing web comics than we mm -hmm. can through audio drama. Yeah. And it's because I think they've got a head start because everybody, everybody remembers, like, Saturday morning or, or Sunday comics, right? The weekend yeah. comics. And, and so they want to have that feeling, even though the newspapers are gone again. Not yeah. everybody listened to audio drama growing up. I wish they all did, but not everybody has that kind of background history. Well, that, and I think, too, it's the idea that if you do a comic, like even if you're doing, say, a comic strip or a web comic, it's very visual, and that's kind of how the human brain processes stuff. So right. if I... If I come up with a really unique looking character, people will remember that character. And it's that idea, like I said, with a regular like podcaster who does comments and that, you're remembering that character, remembering the individual. Whereas if you're doing audio dramas, it's more difficult to make somebody stand out yes. just audio. And if you're doing a lot of productions, unless you have like a like a, a super crew. You can get bleed where people will start using similar like voices and inflection for similar characters, and then that kind of makes it all sort of swish together too. Yeah, and I think this is again back to Greg Taylor. I mean, this is where his brilliance is by only doing two different things, right? A little bit right. of Blackjack Justice. He has those same characters, or or the Red Panda, which is with both him and his wife playing the Flying Squirrel, who's his sidekick. <laughs> Um, everybody tunes those. in. Yeah, you got to listen to those shows. They're great. Yeah. Dakota Ring Theater, by the way. Dakota Ring Theater, and that's R-E. Um, but those shows, the adventure is there, yes. But people tune in for the interplay between the characters because yeah. they love that kind of connection with the characters. And that's where, you know, those good good web comics and good comics is you love that character. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you, tuned in, you tuned in because... Opus reminded you of you. <laughs> Bill the Cat may not, but Opus certainly did. Right. Bill the Cat was your wacky neighbor next door. <laughs> Coughing up fur balls. I have a lot of relatives like Bill, actually. <laughs> there you go. I don't know if you can say that on a podcast. I have relatives like that. Because they're going to come looking at you. Are you talking about me? Cough, cough. Well, I've already had a family send me uh notices about different shows mm -hmm. you're kidding no my favorite was um i had an aunt because <laughs> when we talked about the uh the kaiju movies that on that episode the question came up when did you see your first ones and none of us remembered our first one right but i remembered when i was a little little kid and this is like two or three well before i started school i used to sneak out when everybody else is asleep because the late show would show all the monster movies Right, And I got an email from an aunt that said, when we lived in that house, 
she always got this weird, creepy feeling like there was another presence in it when apparently it was because at night while she was sleeping or nodding off, she'd hear me wandering around watching TV and just never made that connection. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing about podcasting it, that constantly brings me back is the eclectic aspect. Yeah. We, we live in a world where digital editing is darn simple. And all you have to do is sit in front of a microphone and talk. Yep. And if you want to talk, like, right up there with uh, NPR and do that really close microphone sounding. <laughs> the, the fact about audio, it is it is literally the most uh, intimate of mediums. That's mm -hmm. what I love about it. It's like, it can, if you're listening to something, it can be, it's the closest thing next to your own thoughts. So yeah. if it's done really, really well, it can really connect. I remember I was listening to an audio book, or maybe it was an audio drama. I can't remember if it was one or the other. I think it was an audio drama, honestly, of mm -hmm. um, 30,000 Leagues Under the Sea, uh, the Jules Verne classic. Right. And I was living, I live in Halifax, so I'm right by the sea, basically. And where I was living, I was living right by the shore. And while I was listening to it, I was walking by the shore and literally it was so magical. I was certain <laughs> I was going to see the Nautilus, you know, just, just crest the waves out of nowhere because it just, it was the perfect moment to listen while I'm walking down the shore and just sort of feel really immersed in that yeah. story. And those, those are the best times. Like you get those sometimes with really, really good movies. You forget where you are and you're right in the middle of the movie. I find that happens more often with really great audio drama than it does for movies for me. Right. Yeah, it can make sense. Because that's... It's why I don't think anything ever totally dies. Because there isn't a better... Like, movies aren't better than TV, which is better than books. They're all a different experience. And at different times in your life, people will want or be more receptive to a different kind of experience. Yeah. Absolutely. And I try to tell students that, too, because they go, well, wh where's the pictures? But when I <laughs> when they start listening, I have my students. I, I What I end up doing for my students is uh, um, I'll have them sit down. Well, uh, the rest of the rest of the class is reading. I'll have them sit down and I have like this little audio plug in that can can facilitate about five people and they mm -hmm. all have their own headphones and then they'll have a, like a little review sheet and then they'll sit down and listen to an audio drama, which is the best way. If I just played it in the class, well, the moving of the chairs and people yeah. talking, I mean, you lose all that kind of stuff, right? But for them to sit there and listen, I've made more converts, people who go, <laughs> oh my God, like this is, this is actually good, Mr. Ward. It's like, yeah, I know. And so then, they'll, you know, I'll, they'll be coming back and they'll say, like, I was listening to this one on the way back home. I was listening to this audio drama series on zombies called We're Alive. It's really good, Mr. Ward. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know. I've, I've, I've heard the whole series. It's fantastic. But I always have this great uh, opportunity. I say, okay, so do you want to really see it, how effective audio drama is? And they go, well, what do you mean? And I said, I dare you to listen to Woman in the Basement by midnight radio theater in your room with the lights off and your cell phone off so you can't answer it and <laughs> at late at night and if you don't turn it off you're you're you've you, that's your dare right so it, you can make it all the way through and i've had students who can't do it 
because it's so well done. They get too freaked out. It's like, I couldn't go right. on the story. It's scary as hell. Um, and the guy who did that, um, I was going to say Gary Sinise, but it's not Gary Sinise. It's another Sinise. David, I think, Sinise. Um, he, he, he only wrote about six or seven radio dramas, but man, they're so visual. Mm-hmm. You know, they just, they, they, and they're all sort of like, just a couple of characters with really creepy things going on. <laughs> and uh, they, they have some adult situations, so be aware of that, parents. But the, the fact is that Woman in the Basement is terrifying, just a mm-hmm. terrifying uh, audio drama. And it's well done, and the kids really feel gripped. Sca- <laughs> scaring people with radio drama is one of the best ways of scaring people. Because right. nothing, you know, I mean, no no video that you can get, no no film can fill in the horror that your own brain fills in. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's the thing they do with closure in, in, in comics, right. Where you've got that, that one frame and then that second frame, which shows you what happened and you're filling in the, the, all the middle stuff in, in, and you're creating that closure and your brain goes, Oh my God, they just cut that person into like 15 pieces. And (laughs) now all you see is his bloody footprints walking away. Oh my God. I can see it in my head. Right. So yeah. (laughs) Radio drama does that really well. Right. Well, this sort of became mostly about radio drama, and I apologize for those people. I mean, we can come back and talk more generally about podcasting, but I wanted to speak about the stuff I know very specifically, so I hope people will forgive me for that aspect. (laughs) And I love radio drama, so by all means, whatever your passion is, and I'll tell you, they have audio podcasts. They have podcasts for everything. So if you like the Backstreet Boys... I don't mean like the Backstreet Boys now, mm. and I don't mean the Backstreet Boys <laughs> in their later years, but there'll uh-huh. be a podcast for like the Backstreet Boy the early years, right? So there'll be a podcast <laughs> for all of those things. No matter what your kink is, <laughs> there will be a podcast for it. And I don't necessarily mean it sexually, but I mean whatever it is that you do enjoy, you will find a podcast. <laughs> Not just one. You'll probably find four or five of them. And they used to have some, like, really good sort of podcast yellow pages. I don't think they keep mm-hmm. them up that much anymore. But if you just go searching in iTunes for them, you can mm-hmm. find all kinds of people because most people use their podcast feeds on iTunes now. Yeah. Yeah, you kids in your iTunes. I remember when we had web rings. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> I remember web rings. So do I. Those oh, are awesome. he's back. <laughs> he's back. Sorry, gentlemen, I had to step out for a few minutes. I'm back. I've returned, and I'm sure you've said awful things about me in my absence. Well, just we thought Connie was the one tying you up. That's all. <laughs> Shh. Don't talk about that. Not on the air. Not She's on not, the air. She's not supposed to know he's out. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I think Don was ready to, to wrap it up for now because we're running out of time, but he said yeah. maybe we'll do a sequel at some point, so... Okay, it, this this episode really turned into a discussion of uh, audio drama yeah. instead of an episode of uh, just about podcasting. But did we cover most of what you wanted to cover, Don? Yeah, we got there, and I think it was uh, – the audio drama I think is good because I have a funny feeling that a lot of people listening aren't aware that it's such a thing. So hopefully they'll mm-hmm. check out some of the stuff that got mentioned. Yeah, I hope so, too. Unfortunately, when you say such a thing, I'm afraid that, as we said earlier, that's a bit of an exaggeration. Audio drama is kind of like the back alley theater of the podcasting world, unfortunately. That's true. Uh, uh, We're, you know, we're there, or 
or at least I was there anyway. I I moved on. I moved to fr- to a front street apartment with you, where we're uh, we're doing our best to uh, showcase um, nerddom mm-hmm. in the old fashioned podcasting way. And, and and you missed my sort of ending, where I basically apologize for turning it into audio drama and saying there's 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 stuff for whatever your kink is out there for podcasting. There You'll absolutely find is three or four thousand different things. And I suggested I said there used to be like a yellow pages, but I don't think they keep those up anymore. There's like podcast. Casting Alley is one of them, but um, really, if you just go to iTunes and you just drop it in in the search engine there, whatever it is that you enjoy, you'll find probably four or five podcasts that I'll talk about it. Absolutely, or you'll just find individual episodes of different podcasts I found that will talk about a subject. Yes, it doesn't matter what subject it is. Suddenly, you can be looking up butterflies, for example. And yeah, it'll give you not only the Butterflies podcast, which I'm sure there are tons of, mm-hmm. it will also give you talk about the episodes of the various other podcasts. It's like, here's an episode that talked about butterflies and here's this. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons why Podcast Alley and Podcast Pickle yeah. and the um, there were a couple, few, couple others. I think most of them are gone now. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because they didn't don't really need to exist. iTunes is just so dominant yeah. Yeah. that... They don't see any point in existing anymore. I think Blueberry might still be around. But uh, yeah, podcasts and especially audio drama podcasts are definitely something that people should check out. And I, I absolutely agree. I love, I'm going to say, I love Boxcar 7-Eleven uh, old-time podcasts because it's kind of like the Sonic Society, but for old-time radio. My only problem mm-hmm. is, is he puts up like 10, 15 shows a week. So you can't possibly go through them. But he's got everything from Fibber McGee and Molly to The oh, wow. Shadow to Roy mm-hmm. Rogers to um, Big Town. And it's just every possible genre of old-time radio you'll find on Boxcar 7-Eleven. And you can download it for free and get a ton of stuff to listen to if you want to listen to old-time stuff. Mm. Mm, definitely. So the best modern stuff, of course, is the Sonic Society. Yay. And the best old stuff then, I guess, is Boxcar 7. <laughs> SonicSociety.org. <laughs> and by the way, if you want to get a, a taste of old-time stuff, just go to Sonic Society webpage and look for Sonic Echo, and you'll find all mm. last season's Sonic Echo shows. I think we had about 40 of those on top of everything else. Hmm. Okay, awesome. Okay, Don? Yeah. You can take us away. Where are we going? Oh, okay. So since Don is abdicating his duties, so thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Um, And uh, hopefully you've learned a little bit about podcasting and uh, a little bit about uh, the audio drama that's out there. And uh, tune in next week when we'll talk about more stuff. Holiday special. Good night, folks. (laughs) Good night. (laughs) Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at ObeyTheDNA.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya! See ya!